0: picture, which you haven't actually seen the picture yet, so be sure to get on <coughs> Facebook and the website to be able to see the picture. You saw the video, so it's about, about as good. Um, if you will, turn to, while we're getting started, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 So we're going to be today. But I want to encourage, I love to see this generosity, I love to see people giving uh, to support the spread of the gospel, the support of people across the world that are hurting, in need of help, and in, su- in spreading the gospel to them as well. And I'll just let you know if it motivates you. Um, a- as David kind of said, in, in, in I'll become even more undignified than this. If there's something you'd like to see that was going to motivate you to empty your pockets for the sake of spreading the gospel, we'll do that. Whatever it is, uh, I've shaved my, shaved my head before, I've dyed my hair an actual permanent color before, whatever it's going to be, we can do it. If it's going to mean that it'll motivate us to give to the gospel. So, today, uh, we're getting close. (coughs) And I'll ask you to forgive me in advance. I'm probably going to cough a little bit today, but that's okay. Um, uh, We're getting pretty close to about halfway through the year. It's actually closer to July. But I wanted to take this time, as we finish our our journey through Philippians, uh, which we'll be referencing some today, but just to, to look and to remember... Uh, the vision that we've been looking at and talking about this year, building our new Bethel, uh, and and what that looks like as a church body, as a group of believers. And we're going to simplify it today, but before we get to that point, I want to just kind of review it. Uh, With some visuals, this is kind of what hopefully has been in my head. Hopefully it makes some sense. Uh, First, we have to lay a foundation. If we're going to build a building, now we know the church is not the building, but we're using that for an illustration purpose, okay? Building a, a church, building our church uh, to be who God calls us to be. So we have to lay a solid foundation. And if you remember, that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, biblical authority, submission to God. We have to make sure that, that we are all about the gospel, spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel, because that's why we're here. It's because of what Jesus and God has done for us. We believe in scripture, that scripture is biblical. It is, it, it is God's word. Is, it is authority for our life. And then we submit to following God in our life. So that's the foundation that we lay. And on top of that, we build the structure. We talked about the inner structure, what we do within the church to build the church, uh, worship, discipleship, ministry, and fellowship. And then the outer structure, the the way we we do things outside, commitment to Christian witness, evangelism, and missions. This is the core things that we we build upon the foundation and we do as a church, that we hold to as a church, uh, that helps build a strong uh, building. And then we see the next thing is the finishings. Um, we didn't talk a lot about this, but this is the way that our found our foundation and our structure comes into action, right? So discipleship evangelism missions, how, what does that look like? So VBS, that's part of the finishings mission trips that we're about to go on youth camp that we're about to go on. Those are the finishings, the things we do that put into action, the things we're building our church to be. And then from that, we see the finished church, uh, which should be something beautiful that reaches people and glorifies God. And the reason we've approached it in this way is you can't build a solid building without a good foundation. You don't want to put beautiful finishings on a structure that's not sound. We start with what's most important building a firm foundation, building a solid structure rooted in who God calls us to be. And then from that, we do the things that God calls us to do. So that's what we've talked about. We talked about that from the beginning of the year for several months. It's just a reminder. But today, what I want to do is to simplify the purpose of the church, purpose of our church and the purpose of our life as Christians into three words so that everywhere you go every day you can think and remember what we're called to do to know, grow and go. Know, grow and go. Yeah, I made them rhyme, make it make it simple and easy to remember. Know, grow and go. And today we're going to see what it means to know, grow and go. And I believe all of that is found in the Great Commission. We know and we love the Great Commission, right? That's why we have organizations like Send Relief. That's why the Southern Baptist Convention exists, is for missions, to share the gospel with the world. So we all know, we've heard the Great Commission, but you can see the full idea, the full life of a believer in this passage. So if you'll turn to the screen and you'll read with me Matthew 28 18, 18 through 20. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for what we've seen this past week. We've seen your goodness. We've seen kids get to come and worship you, to learn about you, to know about you. We've seen generous giving toward missions. We've seen just how good you are. And God, I pray that today as we look at your word, we look at what you call us to be as a church, you, we look at what you call us to do. I pray that you'll be with us. You'll help us to see our lives, to see how we measure up the scripture, whether we are living in accordance with your will for our life. And God, I pray that you would help challenge us to change, to live a life that is glorifying to you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing we see, the first part of this is know, to know God. That's the first step. And we look in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What this begs and demands, is that these people that become disciples have to know God. They have to know who he is. They have to know the message about him and believe in him so that they become disciples, followers, and are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we remember that this was Paul's goal in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, this this book we just finished going through. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So we need to lay the, the, the foundation. This first thing we need to do is make sure that we know God. We know who He is, and we know God in our lives. We need to make sure the people we interact with as we share the gospel, that the first thing they need to do is to know who God is, to have a relationship with Him that we'll get to. But we need to lay some foundations before we understand what it means to know God. The first thing we know and see is that God has revealed Himself to us. We can know who God is. We can know him because God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in the world. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who, bro- who by their un- unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what, is, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes... That is, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what He has made, as a result, people are without excuse. What does this mean? What what it clearly means, what it simply means this morning, is that it is impossible, when you look at the creation of God, to deny that God exists. And there are problems that people that are in uh, the the strictly scientific community. When I say that, I'm not saying that science is a bad thing. I'm saying that people that are atheistic in their approach of of the world, they're atheistic in the approach of creation, there are problems that they are still trying to unravel. Why does the universe seem to have what they call fine-tuning? It seems like it just works so well. Everything seems to be created in a way that, that produces life. It doesn't make sense. It goes against the law of entropy. They have to find ways... To to explain why the universe is so ordered and so well put together. Anything else that we encounter in this life that's well put together or well ordered what do we know? Someone did that. Someone made that. You don't walk into a home and be like wow this is a a very interesting thing that just happened to be here. Someone put it together. Someone built it. And So when we look at ourselves, we look at the world around us, we look at how magnificent creation is, it, it demands and, and shows that there is a creator. There is a God who has orchestrated these things and put it together. And these, So these things, his invi- invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. And Romans says that because of this, all people are accountable for being aware of who God is. But what we see also is not only has he revealed himself through his creation, that he is self-evident in what he has created, it is revealed in his word. So in Genesis, we're not, we don't have to even go further than Genesis to see these things. We see creation. We see the story of how God created all that there is. We see how he created male and female in his image. We see the righteousness of God, that when they sin, when they disobey him, they can no longer be in his presence. They are, they are called to leave. We see the condemnation of sin, their sin in the garden as they are called to leave, the condemnation of what Cain did to Abel. We see his covenant with his people. We see his covenant with Abraham as he makes a covenant with him and starts on this journey with his people. We see his mercy, his forgiveness, his sparing of people, even though they maybe don't deserve it. This is carried on throughout scripture. And we know that what God did in Jesus was foretold and prophesied about in Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1, where we just were attest to this as well. Romans 1, 1 through 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Everything that God has done and has been doing is not only evident in the world, it's evident through what he has told us in his word. He told us what he was going to do, and he has done it. He keeps his promises. So as we look further into this, God has made himself uh, available to us. He's made us aware of who he is. He's revealed himself to us in the world and in Scripture. But even more than that, God knows you. We're talking about how we need to know God, but God knows you. He loves you and knows you. And he, before you ever knew or loved him. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. and Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's talking to Jeremiah there, but this reality that he, we, he knew Jeremiah, he knew him in the womb. And I believe this, this knowledge and understanding of who we are applies beyond Jeremiah. We see this in other places. God has known us from the very beginning. Before we knew anything, God knew us. Psalm 139.13-16 says, for it was you who created my inward parts; you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your books, and you, and and planned you in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God knew us in the beginning; He knew us. As we were created, He knew who we are. He knows what we will do. He knows each day of our life. God knows you intimately. Luke 12, 7 says, Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows." As He talks about not worrying, not being anxious. All the hairs on our head are counted. We are valuable to the Lord. God knows you intimately. Better than you know yourself. Better than anyone else knows you. God knows knows you we're valuable to him how valuable john three sixteen says for that for god loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son that so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and in saying that we remember romans 5 8 but god proves his love for us in this while we were sinners christ died for us god loves you So much that he sent his son to die for you. Not because you were deserving, but while you were still sinners. That's what I want you to grasp today. That that God knows you so deeply, so intimately. And he still loves you. He still sent Christ to die for you. In the depths of our sinfulness, in the depths of our rebellion against him. He knew us. He knew what would happen. He knew what we would do. And still, he loved you so much that Christ died with you or for you. Christ died for you. So, what this means is that if we are to know God, we have to have a relationship with him. This means more than just acknowledging that he exists. There are many people in the world that would say they believe in God or they believe in a higher power, they believe in something, but they don't really know what that is. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Believing and knowing and, and cognitively acknowledging that God exists is not what we mean by knowing God. We're talking about having an intimate relationship, knowing Him as our Lord and Savior. We have to have an appropriate understanding of our relationship with God. This means knowing who we are and who He is in our relationship between him. He is God and we are not. We need to know that. He is holy and we are not. We exist for him, not the other way around. He is the Savior and we need to be saved. Because of this, we must believe the gospel. And this is one of the things that we talked about this week at VBS. The gospel is so simple a child can understand it. And and the gospel means good news. The good news of God. The bad news—we've talked about that sin that we are all sinful. We all have sin in our life. But the good news is what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Acts two thirty-six through forty says it well in Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter repi- replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified strongly, urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. And in this passage, we see something very clear. He must be Lord and Savior. It says, he says, this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, which means Savior, the Christ, the one who came to save. He must be our Lord and our Savior. Too often when we think about Jesus and we, we, we think about him in the church, it's just that he's our Savior. He forgives us for our sins, which is true. And that's necessary. Having this relationship with him where he has, we understand our sinfulness, we understand what he's done on the cross, we know that but we make Him our Savior and our Lord. He's forgiven us, but now we submit to Him because Lord means that He is in charge. He is in control, and and it's no longer I who direct my life, it's no longer you who direct your life, but we are submitting to God as the Lord of our life, and we follow Him wherever He's going to lead us. So this is what it means to know God, to have a relationship with Him, to have made Him our Lord and Savior, to have repented from our sins and followed Christ and to follow Him with our lives, to be committed to following Him with our lives. So if you know God, the next step is that you grow in your faith. So you know who God is, you have a relationship with Him, you are following Him, and then you are called to grow in your faith. We see this in our passage, Matthew 28, 20. So to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The call is to make disciples, teach them to know God, and then teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. We need to continue to grow in our faith, to learn what Jesus commanded and to put it into action. Not just, it didn't say just teach them what I commanded you, teaching them to observe, to live it out, to put it into practice in our lives. We are called to be like Christ. And remembering, as we've seen kind of throughout this this passage today, in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we see this exemplified in what Paul is saying to the Philippians. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul is saying to the Philippians, what we've already talked about, is that his prayer is that they will grow in knowledge, they will grow in Christ's likeness, so they will be like him. And on the day of Christ, they will be presented as pure and blameless. Now, the thing about this, we talk about this, it's easy to acknowledge that. I don't think there's anybody that follows Christ that would say, well, I don't really think I need to grow in my faith. I think I'm good where I'm at. But the problem, the problem so often we encounter is how. What am I supposed to do? What does it look like to grow in faith? Faith. What does it look like to grow in my faith, to grow in my walk with God? What I would challenge you is it is it's very similar to anything else you would seek to do in this life. We measure ourselves in, in many arenas. I remember you know, when you grow up in, in your house, you may even have this, where a place where you would measure the heights of your children. And every year, maybe on their birthday or whatever it might be, you make a little mark and you measure and you can see the progress of that growth, Right? If you have the goal of improving in any area, you have to find a way to measure yourself to see improvement. If you're learning a, a new language, maybe it's going to be through taking a, a vocabulary test, seeing how many words you know, seeing how well you do in conversation. You go and try to talk to somebody. If you're losing weight, you're going to take measurement uh, of your body. You're going you're to use a scale and see, does the number go down? If you're trying to get stronger, you're going to see, can you put more weight on the bar? If you're going to try to become a better runner, you're going to see, is your time faster than it was before? Anything we do in this life, we have ways that we measure and, and, and quantify. Are we improving? Am I going toward my goal? So what metrics can we use? Because I think that's important. We need to know where we are, and we need to know how we need to improve, and we need to make efforts to improve. So in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, I think it gives us a good benchmark, a good example of what we should look at. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly about this. This is not a spiritual gifts list. There are places in the New Testament where it will talk about how he appointed some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be hospitable. That's not what this is. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The mature Christian... Should seek to embody the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't say, you know, I, I'm really good with patience, but I'm just not that loving. It's just not my thing. I'm not a very loving person. Or, or maybe, you know, I'm pretty joyful, but, but I'm not that good. You know, I, I'm joyful in doing bad things, right? That's not how this works. The fruit of the Spirit is what, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, if you're following Christ, you should embody all of these things. The mature Christians should seek to embody all of the fruit of the Spirit within their life. So what you need to do right now, today, you should have, maybe you've done it before, look and evaluate yourself. Do you have these fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? Maybe you need to ask someone else. Now, if you do that, you need to be ready to hear what they're going to say in a gracious way. To hear what they're going to say in a gracious way. Because if you're not ready for that, don't ask them because maybe you're not very uh, patient. And that won't go so well. well. How is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Now, some will come more naturally. Some of them you'll, you'll, you'll excel at better than others, but you have to seek to express all the fruits of the Spirit. And then you need from that to figure out, what am I going to do to improve in this? So what can you do on a daily, regular basis to grow in your faith? Because the reality is is that just like anything, just like learning a language, losing weight, uh, getting stronger, becoming a better runner, any of the things you may have a goal as, you have to work at them to see improvement. If we want to work at growing in our faith, what do we have to do? First, we have to prioritize our faith. We have to make our faith a priority in our life. If we go through our life doing anything and everything other than growing, seeking to grow in our faith, how are we going to expect results? In any of the things we mentioned before, if you don't spend time trying to learn a language you're not going to learn it. If you don't make decisions on where you're going to eat based off of trying to lose weight, you're not going to do it. If you don't spend time working harder to gain strength, you're not going to gain, get stronger. If you don't run, you're not going to, get to become a better runner. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to prioritize it. Make it something that matters to you and and what we have to understand is that we would say this is the most important thing in our life, but do we prioritize it like it is the most important thing in our lives? So we make it a priority. And then we spend time in Bible study. Currently, through through our church here, you have options. Sunday school, worship. We're looking at scripture right now. Small groups like D groups. And there's other Bible studies that meet throughout the week. You can get involved in community and go deeper in your knowledge about what God's word says. But this should be a supplement. that You should also be doing personal Bible study. Spending time in God's word for yourself. Learning. If I want to know what Jesus commanded me, how are you going to know it unless you spend time reading it, understanding it, seeking to apply it to your life? And I'll go another step further. I think that one of the great ways you can grow in your faith and grow in your knowledge is Scripture memorization. If you want to be able to apply God's Word in your life, how better than to memorize the Scripture that will help you in those moments? How better than to know and have it imprinted on your heart what God calls you and expects you to do? The next thing, prayer. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to spend time in prayer. If you have a relationship, you've you've heard this many times, if you have a relationship with your spouse or a friend, you don't ever talk to them, it's not going to be a very good relationship. So if we want to have a relationship with God, we know God, have a relationship with Him, we need to spend time conversing with God. We do that through prayer. Serving. Serving is another way to grow in your relationship with God. This is how you, part of prioritizing God in your life, if you spend time observing what God has commanded you to do, serving people with your life. Now that could be serving in the church, finding ways to get involved, you should do that. But as you go about your life, serving and doing the things that God would do, Christ would do in those situations. How can you serve people with your life? The next thing I think we could do is giving. And I do mean monetary giving. And this goes far beyond just tithing, which I think is important for us to do. But anything that matters to us, if we put our time and our money into these things, it becomes real. It becomes real to us. So are you you spending your money in a way that honors and glorifies God? Or are you doing it in a way that is glorifying and honoring to yourself? Are you supporting God? what God would, 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 would want you to support in the world. And we do see generosity. We see today how you have given. And when you do that, it becomes real. It's one thing to say, man, I really, I really think it would be great if the gospel could be spread in the Ukraine, where all of these terrible things are happening. It's another thing to put your money. Maybe you can't go. You can pray, and you can give. You can support those who are doing the work. And we saw this in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. That the Philippians put their money in service of God through supporting Paul and his mission. And Paul said, this is increasing to your account. This is benefiting you through your submission and your service with through the way that you sacrifice your money. When you put your money and your time into action for your faith you will be more invested in it. And and I don't mean a pun there, even though you are more invested in your faith. The last thing I think that I want to mention today is perseverance or endurance or steadfastness, whatever it may be. In James 1, 2 through 4, we see this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. When we endure through difficulty, when we go through trials and we face tribulation and trials, that produces maturity in our faith. The reality is, in in this world, if you are following Christ actively in your life, being vocal about your faith, living your faith actively in public, in front of people, you will encounter some sort of of trial and tribulation. Now, it's going to be different here than it will in other parts of the world, but what we see in Scripture very clearly is that endurance produces maturity. Anything you do that you want to grow in, you must struggle through to get better. Because I can promise you, if you're wanting to get stronger, it's going to hurt while you're lifting. If you're wanting to become a better runner, it's going to hurt while you're running, anything you try to do, there is effort and struggle and, 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 pro, and problematic things you'll encounter. And if you want to grow in your faith, when trials come, when tribulations come, you must endure and see the fruit that that produces in your life. To see the fruit it produces in your life. So we know who God is. We grow in our faith. And as you'll see in the middle, there's a little circle there. This is a process. Because once we know who God is and we've, we continue to grow in our faith, we go and make disciples. We go and make disciples. And this is what we see here. Jesus found these men, these disciples who followed him. He taught them what they should do and he commanded them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is the last thing, one of the last things that Jesus commanded and taught his disciples? Go and make disciples. And so if they're going to teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you, guess what they're going to also be taught? Go and make disciples. So what we see here is a process. We see that they should know who God is. We know who God is. We have a relationship with him. And because of that, we grow in our faith. We grow in our Christ-likeness. And then when we, while we're doing that, we go and make disciples so that they will know who God is, they will grow in their faith, and they will go. and make. It's a process that never ends. And so this is the fulfillment, and this is the essential, one of the essential parts of this process. We are called to share the hope that we have been given. So how are we called to make disciples? We have to live and stand on the truth. We have to live and stand on the truth in our lives, in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the things that we do, We need to live as though we are Christians. We need to live in such a way that that believes the truth and that promotes that through our life. When we encounter falsehood in the world, we have to confront it in love because we are living in the truth. We have to love people where they are. We have to love people where they are. This is difficult. Because the people that Christ came and associated with We're not often people of of, of great reputation. Now, he didn't partake in what they did. He didn't do what they did, even though some accused him of that. But what did he do? He loved them where they are, but he told them the truth. So we live and stand on the truth and love people where they are. And we preach and teach them the truth. So when you encounter someone that's living in whatever way that they may want to live, whatever lifestyle that you may encounter, whatever sinful life that you may encounter you love them where they are but you preach and teach them the truth and you teach them to follow christ you teach them to follow christ you share the gospel the good news about what jesus has done for them because what we talked about today how god knows you how god knew you before you were born he has known you and knows everything about you about your life and still loves you that is true about every person you'll encounter that he knows them, he loves them, and Christ died for them. So where are we called to make disciples? First, we are called to make disciples in our own families. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, after talking about the love the Lord your God with all that you are, he says this, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Make disciples in your family. Make disciples of your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whoever you have influence with, make disciples as you go, as you live your life. It's not complicated. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Talk about the good things God has done. Talk about what God has done, who God is. Teach them to know God. So where else? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is where Jesus told them that they would make disciples. And I want you to think about Jerusalem as our community, Evansville, the surrounding area. We need to make disciples here, in our state, in the surrounding tri-state in Judea, in our nation, the United States and Samaria, into the world, the ends of the earth. We are called to make disciples anywhere that we go. And one of the hard questions I think that often sometimes we, we come to is how. How do we share disciples? our faith? How do you share the gospel? How do you go? Maybe you know who God is. Maybe you've grown in your faith and you want to grow in your faith, but how do you go? It's intimidating. But we have to learn to share our faith. We work at learning to share our faith, just like we work at learning to grow in our faith. And start simple. Start where you're at. Don't don't expect to be able to to become a great evangelist in a day, unless that's what you're gifted with. Start where you are and work from there. Start simple. Invite someone to church. Invite people to church. Wherever you go, you can have that conversation. It's very simple. It's not very difficult to start a conversation and say, do you go to church anywhere? I mean, most people are going to answer. They're not, they're not going to just start yelling at you. But if they do, in, endure trials. Remember, that produces endurance. But you can ask someone, do you go to church anywhere? You can, you can bring up, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm kind of tired this week because I helped at VBS. Do you go to, we, we had a great time. Do you go to church anywhere? It's not hard to bring that up in a conversation. Now, it's hard to get ourselves to do it. It's intimidating at times. But start simple. Invite someone to church. Learn to explain the gospel. And it's very, very simple. This is where gospel tracks can be very helpful. Right in VBS, we, we use something. It's, it's so easy as ABC. Admit That you're a sinner. We all sin. Believe that that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again. And confess him as your Lord and Savior. A, B, C. Learn. Whatever way makes the most sense to you, whatever way that you're most comfortable, learn to share the gospel. Practice in a mirror. Practice with your family. Practice with people at church. Learn to share the gospel. Because if you want to go make disciples, you you have to know what the good news is you're sharing. You have to be able to share it. So learn to explain the gospel. Learn to tell your story. We've talked about this before. What is the good news about what God has done in your life? How has God saved you? How has God transformed you? Because it's a very easy way to share with others about what he has done. And let me add into this too. Be willing to listen. Listen to what people have gone through. Listen to their story. And actually listen. This is something I had to learn years ago. I I had a conversation with someone. They said, sometimes I don't feel like you're listening to me. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. That's hard. We all do that sometimes. We have to learn to listen, to really care about the people we're talking to. Memorize scripture. What better way to be able to tell people what God says than to have memorized the scripture you're trying to tell them? To memorize what God's word says. Which, which verses are most important to sharing the gospel? John 3.16. You can memorize that. This, this whole week we memorized Ephesians 2.10 2, in the song every single night. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared ahead of, us, ahead of time for us to do. It's, you can learn stuff really quickly. And there's, there are many tools that will help you do that as well. And then learn to use evangelism tools. There are many methods. The three circles method. The, uh, sharing, God, sharing Jesus without fear. There's all sorts of ways, that you can, things you can use to help you share your faith. But the most important thing is that you just do it. You just begin to go and share faith your faith. Because if we want to complete this process, if we want to see how God will move in the world around us, if we want to be the church, we want to be the Christians God calls us to be, we have to know, grow, and go. We have to know who He is, we have to grow in our faith, and we have to go and make disciples. And this is why we're going to focus on these things, we're going to remember these three words, because if there's a break in this process, it won't repeat itself. If you don't know who God is, you're not going to grow in your faith, and you can't make disciples because you are not a disciple yourself. If you know who God is, but you don't grow in your faith, it stops right there. You're never going to go. You're never going to go tell people because you're not growing. You're stagnant. You're you're just content with waiting where you're at. And you might know and you might grow, but if you don't go, you're, you're supremely selfish in your faith. If you take the good news and you only keep it to yourself, you're, you're not, there's not ever going to be another person that will know because of your faith. It's a cyclical process. We know who God is, we grow in our faith, and we go and make disciples. So that they will know who God is, they will grow in their faith, and they will go and make disciples. On and on and on until Christ Jesus comes back and we can look at Him and we can live with Him in eternity forever. But until that day, we know who God is, we grow in our faith, and we go and make disciples. So today, what I would challenge you with, and I would challenge you to reflect in your life, where are you in this process? Do you know God this morning? Do you have a relationship with Him, or do you just know about Him? Have you understood that He knows who you are, He knows every fiber of your being, and He loves you, and Christ died for you and made a way for you to be saved? If you have, have you repented and believed and then followed up in baptism as we saw what, what Peter told them to do in the book of Acts? If you know Him this morning, are you growing in your faith? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you learning what Christ taught and observing what Christ taught in your life? Are you becoming like Christ? How do the fruit of the, spirits, the, fruit of the Spirit look in your life? And if you're growing in your faith, are you going in making disciples in whatever capacity you're able. Not everybody's going to be able to go on on a mission trip like we're going to go on to. Not everyone's going to be able to do that, but are you, as best you're able, making disciples in whatever way you're able to do it? Are you being bold for Christ? Sharing the good news you've already believed so that others might have an opportunity to do the same. Becky's going to come in a a, a few moments and we're going to have the time of invitation. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to reflect on where you're at. And if you don't know Christ, today is the day to respond to Him. If you hear that and you, you, like the people in Acts, are pierced to the heart, what I tell you to do, repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then follow up in baptism and obedience. Do you need to grow in your faith to prioritize it, to, to, to put these things into practice so that you become more like Christ? Or do you need to go and make disciples? Wherever you're at today, I invite you to respond. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that, that you've given us this time that we can come together. God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you. That we would seek to know you, to know who you are, to know you with our lives. That we would seek to grow in that faith and in that relationship. And that we would go and make disciples of all nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.